welcome to Ahead of the Curves. I am Ali Cook coming to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand. And my friend, because we're just two chicks with the audacity to find light at the end of the COVID tunnel, my friend, Nicola Burton across in Brisbane. G'day. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very excited about this interview that we've got to share of yours today with uh, Beck Scott from Street in Melbourne. Isn't she awesome? She is a light at the end of the tunnel with, you know, with what she's doing and and obviously a real greenie. (laughs) I love her. She's just, she's a greenie and she's working out ways to recycle and do amazing stuff. And if you don't feel inspired and you don't half your rubbish by the time you've finished listening to this woman, then there's something wrong with you because you need to like save those yogurt puddles and plant them full of plants. She's amazing. It's a really great interview. And I I felt the same. As soon as I got off the interview with her, I went outside and I cleaned up my garden and I I did a whole, I changed a whole pile of things because I kind of felt ashamed that I wasn't already doing those things. And she's so, um, she's so non-judgmental. She's so down to earth and just this lovely human who, you know, I loved when she said, you know, you're on JobKeeper, you can't work. So how about you get together and create some great new social enterprise and I thought exactly you know we are so spoiled with what we have and we've got the opportunity to create these new ways of doing things that are better for the humanity and better for the earth and yeah she she totally inspired me so please watch this um interview with Beck Scott and Beck thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me but also continuing to do what you do make sure everyone you check out street her website S-T-R-E-A-T. She's based in Melbourne and she's got her fingers in a multitude of social enterprise pies. This woman is going to change the world. And we're so very lucky to have this interview today. So Beck Street, Beck Scott of Street, rather, Beck Street. How <laughs> sorry, Beck, but you know exactly what I mean. Beck Scott of Street, thank you so much. And here's the I am your host, Nicola Burton. And today I am so happy to be speaking to Beck Scott. Now, Beck. It's the co-founder and the CEO for Street. Beck, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. How are you? Pleasure. Oh, look, crazy like everyone else in the middle of stage four lockdown. Mm. We're all doing what we can, aren't we? You know, we're all finding kind of little ways to stay safe and sane. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, you are a very interesting person. I saw this great quote that you said where you can actually uh, make changes by changing your purchasing habits. Now, for me, if there's a blueprint for the world in terms of recovery, I'd say you've probably already bloody developed the template by the look at all the things that you <laughs> So I want to start with, with Street, which is this extraordinary enterprise. So I'd like to hear about what it does, how it came about, and of course, how you guys are going in the pandemic down in Melbourne with your lockdowns. Oh, look, it, you know, it'd be fair to say that we're... we're you know, from an industry perspective and from the perspective of our, you know, training programs with young people, obviously, you know, it's a tough time at the moment where, you know, we're in Melbourne in stage four lockdown running a whole portfolio of hospitality businesses. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's not open and there's some, you know, there's some real challenges there. Um, But also, I guess the flip side of that is that, you know, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs will always look for silver linings and opportunities out of crisis. And one of the things that I, I'm a you know, passionate, passionate 
um, greenie and, and advocate for massive change that we need to make in climate change. And actually, you know, if I think about that we've given the, the climate a, a deep breath, actually, um, this pandemic. Some of, the, some of the things that I've been working towards are, are those kind of longer term, you know, more systemic changes that needed to happen anyway. So, so some of the positivities that have kind of come out of this um, pandemic, I think, you know, were well overdue. I agree. And it's almost like, you know, we've, we've stopped. Business has been interrupted. And so maybe this is an opportunity. As you said, you know, you had this vision for every business to become a social enterprise. Mm. It's almost like we now actually have the opportunity to do that. So for any business that's um, wanting to bring your vision to life, mm. what kind of things can you recommend? What wisdom can you share with them about taking the first few steps? Because it seems like it's quite overwhelming. What, mm. what sort of recommendations can you make for them to be the change they'd like to see in their own business? It's interesting, actually, because I've, I've had a couple of for-profit businesses approach us during this pandemic and say, hey, we're kind of looking at this social enterprise stuff quite seriously. You know, we were already very much trying to think about the social and environmental impact that we could do, but but actually, you know, the, the sort of making it the, the core of, of our mission uh, is, is more and more attractive. And so I, I do think what's happened a lot of people have really been grappling, not just obviously how do we survive as organisations during this pandemic, but how do we align, you know, the values of our staff and our people with the values of the organisation more strongly? And actually, how do we use this level of disruption to get on and do a bunch of the changes in our organisations that we needed to? And so... If I think even about, you know, some of the organisations that we're working closely with, you know, if your businesses are, clo if your core businesses are closed and businesses usually is not looking like it normally is, that's a great opportunity to stand back and say, well, what do we want to look like in, in a decade or two decades time? Let's get to building that now. And I think for many organisations, particularly if their current businesses had really wound down and they were, you know, they've got a bunch of staff who are on JobKeeper, essentially using that job keeper, you know, time and, and money as innovation money, starting to think about, well, how would we make changes now and, and deploy some of our people in, into starting to reconfigure things? And that's a really exciting opportunity for organisations. It, it might start as simply as saying, okay, how are we going to become a deeper shade of green as an organisation? You know, many organisations will already have a level of things that they're doing environmentally. They'll have some goals. They'll, they'll probably, you know, they'll be doing some recycling in the office. They'll be, you know, they'll have some things that, it, that they're doing for sure. But that, that ability to say, well, what would it look like to go really deep green? What are all of those tiny little things that we can do? And uh, just to give you a sense, as an organisation, we did that process uh, um, last year with our own teams. And we, we went out to all of our teams and, and all of our customers and crowdsourced green ideas that they had for taking us deeper green as an organisation. And we had hundreds and hundreds of ideas across our teams. And we just got to work you know, implementing a bunch of those things. So we've been really sprinting quite hard during this pandemic, taking our own organisation deeper green, even though I th we were already quite, um, quite environmentally focused. But all of those things are just great opportunities um, to, to do some things differently. And, 
what we've found very much in those organisations that are taking the pandemic time to do that is that I've got highly engaged staff members. You know, we've got staff members from, um, or more, more so kind of volunteers from other organisations who aren't working full-time in their, in their day jobs, in their organisations, and have said, hey, I've now got two spare days, you know, a week free. Can I come and spend that with you doing, you know, stuff that's social and environmental? So I think what this it's doing is it's it's really letting lots of people at both an organisational level and a, and a household level rethink about what's important to them. I love that because that actually brings me to the next thing. You and your son have developed Grateful. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that. It was so cute because it was what, grow it, don't throw it. And I, <laughs> every kitchen should have that sign perfectly up there. Every office, everyone should have it. So... I'd love for you to talk to me about that and how, like, I'd love to hear about how people can actually adapt that themselves because it's such a cool concept. Look, it's so simple. So my son, Will, he's, he's 12 years old and, and through the pandemic, particularly in the school holidays, what we started to do is establish our own bigger, you know, um, backyard growing. And most of the, we're in a tiny little house in kind of in inner Melbourne. So we haven't got a great big, you know, great big yard or anything like that, but you can start growing whatever size space you've got. And what we, what we started to say is, well, how would we make it really, really easy for someone who had hardly any space and hardly any money and really didn't know where to start. And they wanted to do kind of really low footprint growing and we said, well, what would it look like if someone only had the, enough space to put the equivalent of a milk crate? So a milk crate is 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres. Let's build, let's start to just give ourselves an experiment and say, right, how much can you grow in one milk crate equivalent? How much can you grow in two milk crates? What are the kind of things that you can grow in there? And because we run, obviously, you know, hospitality businesses, we said, what would it take for us to see if we could fully, you know, establish a full kind of backyard garden using only the waste from a cafe. And that led us on a very, very fun journey. And we now are growing uh, enough food in the backyard for one of us. So the equivalent of kind of, you know, one, one adult's full veggie intake for a whole year in 50 milk crates worth. And all we've done, it's just so simple. All we've done is take, you know, the two litre milk bottles that, that you know, all cafes are, are you know, using and, and discarding at the end of the day, cutting the top off those, putting some holes in the bottom, filling them with some soil. We've made most of our soil from, uh, from our worm farming system that we set up in the backyard that not only puts all of our food scraps, but also our paper scraps, our cardboard. So... Our estimates are that you could that you can turn probably between eighty to ninety percent of a cafe or food business's waste stream into backyard growing. A, a cafe will have about sixty percent of its waste stream being organic waste. So all of that precious, you know, nutrition that shouldn't be going into landfill, it certainly should. You know, it can be going across into composting and worm farming. But, but there's so many things, you know, whether or not it's the containers that, you know, that hospitality, you know, or cafes use, but the same with, you know, same with your, your own household waste. Yeah. If you think about all the number of containers that you're throwing out, whether or not they be plastic yogurt tubs or whether or not they be margarine containers or, you know, large tins, all of that can be growing food, you know, can be growing food in it. So we just started collecting everything 
all of our egg cartons were how we started to grow all the seedlings. The seedlings then were put into, you know, plastic containers and, and now we've got a full system that's growing. And really what it showed us, and, and our full system was growing off less than five days of waste from streets, streets waste stream. So to give you a sense, we go through 30,000 two-litre milk bottles as an organisation each year. Wow. Now, think about you know that scale now we're just one we're just one hospitality organization mm. you know there's i think we we calculated that there's over 300 million um uh milk bottles used in melbourne alone for all the coffees that we we drink so you just start to think of the scale of the problem you know of landfill and say actually how would you not only divert all that from landfill but how would you how would you put it into you know growing food um, you know, for a householder and particularly in an urban environment. So we've written a book. Will and I have, uh, we've, got, we've got a 200 page book on how we've, how we've essentially converted what is just all pavement into a, into a growing system just using cafe waste. And we're having loads of fun. Having said that, we, we're having a few battles with some local possums that are equally loving the fact that we've, you know, made an incredible urban food bowl right, <laughs> right in our backyard for them. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, think, uh, I think the main thing is, is just showing, showing people that even if, you know, even if you have your balcony, even if you don't own your land, even if you have just, you know, concrete or pavers in your backyard, there is, there is no reason why you start, can't start growing at least some of your veggies. It's such a great idea because we're trying to get our music workforce to do gardening and so many of them yeah. have been creating and they've just, it's yeah. really helped with their mental health, their physical fitness. They feel so good to be out there in the sunshine, hands and feet in the soil. Yeah. And you know, we live in the inner city of Brisbane with, you know, concrete everywhere. So yeah. I, I really loved your idea. So I'm going to get your book and give it a crack because <laughs> I think yeah, you're sorting out waste, you're sorting yeah. out fitness and health you're sorting out actually growing food so you're yeah. sort of getting a few things off at the same time and it's fun and I think what you said then about that mental health aspect of it, it just can't be underestimated mm. but the strong strong research that shows that our how how connected or nature connectedness is so much part of you know our mental health and well-being and I think particularly for those who have been in in you know severe lockdowns around the world that craving of nature and you know you, you can probably see behind me you might wonder what it is but you can see behind me on on the table what looks like a whole heap of glass bottles that's actually just all of the avocado seeds from what we've been from the avocados that we've been eating we've been we've made so there's low this in fact i know there's low i know there's 37 there's 37 avocado seeds there that are all starting to germinate and will all become beautiful little indoor plants and I, we're not gonna we can't fit 37 avocado trees obviously in our backyard but you can keep them miniature and and what we've got now will be a whole heap of beautiful indoor you know indoor plants for mm-hmm. But just, you know, the amount of stuff that you can grow or regrow from your food scraps, um, that's a really nice example of just a, a lo- lovely little, you know, bunch of growing that's inside. And every single day, I start each day going and checking to see which of the new little shoots are coming up. And there's just something really, I think, beautiful about when we're connected 
into seasons when we see those first little shoots come out of a seed and up through the soil, that joy that you feel. One of the things that we know from research is that uh, when nature connectedness is, is graphed across our life, by year we start life as children with high levels of nature connectedness we're outside we're we're exploring things the world is wonderful and magical to us and all of those tiny little plants are just so much part of our kind of enjoy in discovering the world and then we have this incredible dip in our teenage years where our, our the real bottoming out of our nature connectedness happens around 15 and 16 and then gradually, as we get older and older, and particularly as we come back into kind of retirement age, our nature connectedness, as, as many people start to spend more time outdoors or become, you know, do more gardening, our nature connectedness goes back up. But I just see all of that big dip as the missing years, you know, the missing years of nature connectedness. And, and what would it take for us to, to have a whole life, whether or not we're in a city or a country, in the country, that's connected to, you know, to the nature around us. And, and we would be better, you know, not only healthier, obviously, healthier, you know, mentally and physically, I think, as a result of that. And that might be another opportunity for the lockdowns is that that middle part, they've had to work from home. Yes. So they've had the opportunity to go out and sit in the sun when they wanted to and they can grow things. So, look, there's always a positive when you've got a challenge and I think perhaps you've just very well articulated what this one is if, if we want to take advantage of it. Mm. Yeah. So, look, Beck, I have really loved hearing all about what you've been doing with Street, with Crateful. We haven't even talked about moving feast yet, so let's, <laughs> let's do that a crack because now that's... Yeah to the pandemic food you know having to deal with that and you've got a collaboration of what victorian food social enterprises so i'd love to hear about how that came about and the work that you guys have been doing over the past few months yeah look moving feast started really with a, a speed dial that i did to a bunch of social enterprise mates and you know melbourne is melbourne has a very thriving social enterprise scene and, and what i did is just called a bunch of peers and said look you know how, how are you feeling about this kind of impending um, time, what is that going to mean for your social enterprise? And, and it was clear that, you know, many of us, particularly those of us in the food system, we're going to have a really tough time. So what we did is we built a collaborative project called Moving Feast, which is at the moment has uh, about 20 food social enterprises collaborating together in, in a system. And we have anywhere from kind of social enterprise farms and horticulturists through to, you know, hospitality organisations and, and food retailers and caterers through to uh, social enterprise logistics and transport uh, organisations. And, and then essentially we, we've configured all that together in kind of an end-to-end -end ethical food system. And the first amount of work we've done is really concentrated in food security. You know, th there's a lot of food relief activity that we've done. So we've, we've made well in excess of 120,000 ready-made meals for low-income um, Melburnians. We've made more than 20,000, you know, produce boxes and, and really, I guess, probably focused more on kind of different cultural groups in Melbourne who may not be serviced very well by the existing food relief system. Often our food relief system, you know, you kind of take what you get. It's, and there's a lot of kind of giving out of highly processed food, often access to really 
uh, fresh produce and, and nutritious food is an issue. So all of those meals and that produce has been culturally appropriate and diverse. And so we, we really worked pretty hard. We kept our kitchens open. So even though our kitchens were closing, you know, to our, to our usual customers, we collectively pivoted in, into making a large amount of meals um, and produce boxes. But I think what we're, we're equally excited about is that ability to work longer term to be really thinking about the food, building the food system that we need for, you know, for Victoria rather than the kind of crisis, um, you know, crisis food system that we have right now. And the thing that I'm so aware of, I guess, is that the food system is one of, you know, is one of the most pivotal systems that we need to use to, to address cl you know, catastrophic climate change. So much of our waste and our and our extra CO2 or equivalent kind of emissions that are going out there is either through the way we use our land, so so destroying you know land to you know felling forests to put you know to to be raising more stuff for our meat based diets. Um, a lot of it is food waste. So the way we are such incredibly you know so incredibly wasteful when it comes to food. So, so all of those things that can be done to start to change, um, you know, not only household food, you know, food practices, but also the food industry itself. Sadly, uh, the food industry is the most wasteful of all the industries, certainly in, in, in Victoria, that's the, that's the case. I don't know if that's the same across Australia, but I can't imagine it would be very different in the other capital cities at least. And so we know that it's an incredibly wasteful industry. So we're really interested in what would it look like to really start to do transformation of our food system that, you know, what does it look like to be doing regenerative farming activity? What does it look like when we build localized, you know, supply, you know, supply chains rather than buying, you know, oranges from California in, you know, in the wrong season? So what does it look like when it's seasonal, when it's organic, when it's local, when it's ethical, when it's, you know, the farming practices aren't extractive and, and doing more damage, but are, but are actually regenerating soil and, and, and being part of the solution and capturing more carbon into the soil. So, so we're really, I, I guess, excited about what does it look like to be building, you know, the future food system that we need. And once again, like we started this conversation, you know, using the pandemic really as the catalyst to, to start to make those bigger systemic changes. So, you know, we're still, it's only six months old, this collaboration, but I, th I feel like we're just getting started, really. There's a really strong appetite to, to kind of keep this work going and, and actually saying, you know, what are we dreaming of for 2050? And one of the exciting things is that, the, you know, the food system is the only system that you can address all of the UN sustainable development goals through. It, 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 you know, all of us know that, that, you know, food is an absolutely core part of life. So this is a system that touches our lives daily or multiple times daily. Um, and getting back to what you said at the very beginning around, you know, our choices and our, and our you know, our consumption matters the mm. same. You know, the choices, what we put in our mouth has such an enormous impact on planet Earth, not just our own species, but all of those other species too. The decisions that we make around our meals and what we eat 
mm. can, you know, when you aggregate those decisions, um, become very, very real in, you know, in facing kind of what's going to be a, a very, very tough future as we get hotter and warmer and, and more um, carbon. And I love what you said. It's all about um, what you do. It's part of the solution. So the system feeds yeah. itself. So, and it's almost like a household growing its own garden creates its own ecosystem that where you learn, you take that out further into the community and sort of everything sort of feeding into everything else. I think it's a, a very wise but also timely discussion yeah. for us to have because now with all of the changes, we do need to step up and go, okay, what did my great-grandparents do? Maybe mm -hmm. I could sort of go back and start, start doing that yeah. again because we can't just necessarily rely on, like you said, the food chains coming from California or whatever. Yeah. I think also so much healthier just to eat in season anyway isn't it oh look where so i'm i'm cooking i've been cooking lunch every day for the family throughout the the pandemic um and i'll i'll go uh what is it probably six meters from here to the garden where i'm sitting so i'm just sitting kind of in, in the lounge room uh and I will literally go out, you know, in, in a couple of hours time and then just harvest across all of that. And it'll be minutes between that food being harvested in the backyard and it coming here. So, you know, not only is it, you know, you couldn't get it to be fresher than it is, but, but it's also obviously there's no transport miles in there. It's, it's turning kind of food miles into to food meters. And so that ability, obviously, you know, th there's a lot of ticks, you know, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting connectedness to nature. I'm getting, it's all organic food that we're growing out there. Um, it's seasonal. It's got low transport emissions. There's, there's just so many, you know, so many ticks that, that we can give um, with that kind of eating and just knowing that it's not hard, you know, that they're, they're, even, even if you're indoors and you don't have a balcony and you're in an apartment, you can grow, you know, microgreens and sprouts and a whole bunch of stuff in, you know, in your kitchen. Doesn't you don't only need to to have own, you know, land to be able to do a lot of this stuff as well. Exactly. I think what I said right at the beginning, it's the blueprint for recovery that you've actually shared with us today. I think it's um incredibly wise and um we'll we'll change the way I guess the relationship we have with ourselves mm. and our environment. So, Beck Scott, what a fantastic chat we've had today. Thank you so much, you very busy woman. I'm going to let you go and make your lunch and harvest it and get back to your, your enterprises. But I really encourage everyone to check out what Beck is doing. Um, it's, it really is so important for us to change our mindset, especially this time in history. Beck, thank you so much. Pleasure. And uh, stay safe and sane. And uh, hopefully we get to go interstate soon. So for anyone who who are out of lockdown can come to Melbourne. We hope that we'll share a meal with you one of these days or months in the future at Street. I love it. Thanks, Beck. Right. Thanks. Thanks.